Lord, we thank you for your presence. Father, we just come before you right now in Jesus' name. We ask you to let your presence, Holy Spirit, your presence increase, intensify. Lord, give us good, fertile soil, hearts and minds. Lord, I pray the word of God would be released tonight as living seeds of truth, sown into good, fertile soil, watered by the Holy Spirit that will take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains in every life. Lord, that you'll burn it into us. Let it become a part of who we are. Help us to not just hear it, but live it. We thank you, Lord, for it. We bless you. We bless this place. And we bless this time to be fruitful. And Lord, we bless this time in the Word. I'm just going to move with the Holy Spirit a little bit, okay? You know, there's no doubt biblical prophecy is being fulfilled all around us, okay? We're in the end times. I believe Jesus' return is near. I don't believe a lot of people are ready for it. A lot of people are not ready for the rapture, but that's what the Bible says would happen. So, um, And it's sad because you see now, even like First uh, Timothy 4.1, different prophecies in Thessalonians where Paul talked about a great falling away and people abandoning the faith. It's sad to see it, but it is a sign of the times. And it's pretty much an all or nothing. Christianity has always been that way. It's 100% or nothing at all. There's not any, you know, middle ground. It's never been that way. And it, and it grieves me because... <clears throat> in the region that I live, honestly, I've, I've, in my own heart, I've wanted to go. And, you know, the Bible says in, in Revelation, it talks about the different church ages, really. They're broken down. The last church age was the Laodicean age. In the Laodicean age, there was a lukewarmness. That's kind of a prophetic thing about the end times, you know. And, G and Jesus talked about, well, Daniel talked about like a wearing down the saints. And Jesus taught us that the love of many would grow cold. But th it's a time where it's real pressing. It's going to be a very dangerous time, really, to be away from the Lord. Very dangerous. I agree with Rick Joyner, but Rick Joyner said that he felt that if people were not a part, really, truly a part of the body of Christ, and it being the real deal, okay, that they would be a part of the body of the Antichrist, and there would not be any middle ground at all. And I agree with that. So we're in, the, we're in these pressing times where it's going to require people to either sell out completely or fall away, but there's not going to be any game playing. Which is awesome because for us that love the Lord, we're going deeper in Him. And the Bible prophesied in these end times, the uh, book of Joel and the book of Acts said that in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men dream dreams. Your young men see visions. And so we're living in the day of a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The church age began on the day of Pentecost. The church age, age began with a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And the church age will also end with a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And when I say a great outpouring, I'm talking a great outpouring where billions are going to come to know the Lord. I believe that with all my heart. Billions. 
And I believe that, that we're moving into a time where God's going to so anoint what's going on, like through the airwaves. Just like, for example, one example might be like the God TV and they're airing these raw revivals. You know, they're just airing them out there. That's amazing because there's not been a television station really, truly, that's been willing to do a lot of that in the past till God TV. Some of them, I'm not being critical of anybody, some of them sometimes. But God TV has been willing to really just go all out with it. Well, here's the thing. I believe God's going to so anoint these moves of God and these services that they're going to air all over the world. There's going to be people all over the Middle East, all over Africa and other parts of the world that are going to be watching these revivals and come and know the Lord by the hundreds and hundreds of thousands in, in a service. I believe that. Great healings, miracles, signs, and wonders are going to keep breaking out. God is bringing Christianity back to where it's supposed to be. Things have been so beneath what they're supposed to be for so long. And it scares me in America because I'm not sure that American culture, American Christianity is really ready for what's coming by and large. And I'm talking about like the persecution as well. America has been so comfortable for so long, you know. When you look at other countries, I mean, when they, when they make a commitment to Jesus Christ in a lot of countries, not just a few, but a lot of countries, it, could, it, it brings upon them a lot of persecution. Some countries, it could mean their life. Other countries, it just means a lot of being ostracized. But this has been the only, one of the few countries where there's been, it's just been kind of complacent in that area. But before Jesus comes, there's going to be a lot more persecution. And what, what's happening is this. God is moving things back to Book of Acts Christianity the way it's supposed to be. When Jesus was here, his ministry was a supernatural ministry. Okay, think about it. He would preach. People would follow him. He would, he would pray for the sick. The sick were being healed publicly. He would cast demons out of people publicly. The power of God was displayed. And he told his, his disciples, he said, now I'm going to go, but it's, it's better for me that you go because I'm going to send the comforter. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And Jesus told him in Acts 1.8, well, he said in Luke 24.49, he said, wait in Jerusalem till you're clothed with power. And then again in Acts 1.8, right before he ascended, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses. Jesus did not want them to start their ministry until they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. But not only that, but look at Jesus' ministry. He did not start his ministry until he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then you look after the day of Pentecost, what do you see? You see the church the way it's supposed to be. The body of Christ was a family. When somebody was in need, everybody helped, and it was a loving family situation. But there was, unfortunately, a lot of persecution that was there. But the body of Christ, here's what was happening. Through the ministry, you see Philip going to Samaria. The power of God was so strong through Philip that many were healed and publicly delivered of demons. And it was so powerful that that whole region came to know the Lord. And they sent Peter and John there that laid hands on him and they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
Peter was, would go down the street and his shadow would cast over people and people that were sick were healed. The apostle Paul, the anointing was so strong on him that in some meetings they would bring, because you know back then it was hard to travel, they would bring handkerchiefs and aprons, different cloth materials to him and they would have him pray for him or whatever and take it back to paralytics, people that were sick, people that were too sick to travel or that had, or it also said demon possessed people, put the cloth on them and they'd be healed or delivered. But that was Book of Acts Christianity the way it's supposed to be. Anything different than that is not true Christianity. It's not. Now, I understand that they may be born again on the way to heaven. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that it's subpar. I am saying it's watered down. I am saying that it's not where it's supposed to be. And that's a biblical fact. And I dare somebody to challenge me on that. Because that's what the Bible says. And let me tell you something, too. You're going to have to get the Word of God in you because you deal with a lot of religious people. The Apostle Paul said that in the end times there would be all these people, um, 2 Timothy 3, I believe, they would be lovers of themselves, boastful and all that. But at the end, he said they would have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. And he said don't have anything to do with those people. Don't associate with those people. The main manifestation of a religious spirit in somebody's life is the fact that they're critical of others. They're critical. And when they come around the move of the Holy Spirit, all they can do is criticize what's going on. They can't receive because they're too arrogant to receive. That's, that's a religious person. And also a religious person can't help themselves but try to control everything. Amen? But these are some things that, that the body of Christ is going to be facing in these end times. I believe, uh, I hate to use the word civil war or something like that, but it gets the point across. But I believe there's going to be a great um, clash, if you will, in these end times between the Pharisee crowd and those that are going to move with the power of God. I believe that. And the, the sad thing and the scary thing about Pharisees is people that are religious, they have a form of godliness. They go to church. They know the lingo. You know, they, they said they prayed a prayer and all this stuff. But they deny the power of God, and they really don't have a strong relationship with the Lord. But the thing about a religious Pharisee-type person is they have a tendency, just like their spiritual forefathers did, they have a tendency to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And what the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is is calling the Holy Spirit a demon and calling his works demonic. And they'll go to moves of God, and they'll criticize, and they have a problem with everything, and they judge, and they, they set themselves way up here, and they look down on people that are probably better Christians than them, actually. You remember I heard Steve Hill used to say in the Brownsville Revival, he said, you know what the definition of a, of a radical person is? Because he said, you know, you look at these people, and some of them are dancing, and they're free, and they're on fire for God in revival, and then you see this person over here going, hey, they're radical. I don't know about that. He said, you know what the definition of a radical is? Somebody closer to Jesus than you. That was one of his famous sayings during the Brownsville Revival. <laughs> but they can't help themselves but criticize and control and come in and, and be judgmental. But the thing is that that leans toward, that gravitates toward calling it a demonic spirit. And it's scary because I'm actually seeing people that used to be in the fires of revival and around it, that now, there's not a lot of them, but there's a handful of them out there. And 
they write books, they, they teach and everything else, and they're calling the Holy Spirit another spirit, and they're even naming other demonic spirits. And I feel for them because I know deep down that probably they're blaspheming the Spirit of God. But they're trying to turn people away from a move of God, trying to turn people away from revival. Real quick, and I'm going to jump into this sermon on favor, but one of the things that we've got to understand is in church history, the Bible says those that don't know history are doomed to repeat it. You know, I mean, I'm sorry, the Bible doesn't say that, but that is the saying. Those that don't know history are doomed to repeat it. Even though that's not in the scriptures, I do believe it's true because you don't learn from the mistakes of those that's gone before you. And I remember looking at the Azusa Street Revival, for example, that there were people. Now, the Azusa Street Revival started with a handful of people meeting in a home on Bonnie Bray Street. And God chose to move through African-American people during a day when the Jim Crow laws were an act, you know, and it was something that those people would have been looked down on in society, but God chose to move through them, which I love that. But anyway, the Holy Spirit fell on Bonnie Bray Street. They were all baptized in the Holy Spirit, and the power of God showed up. Revival broke out. They were in a house, and pretty soon more and more people started coming. They had to get into the mission that they ended up renting on Azusa Street, and it was known as the Azusa Street Revival. People came from all over the world in a day when it was hard to travel. And not only that, revival would touch people's lives. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit and were touched so powerfully in that revival. They would say that in the Azusa Street Revival that people that lived nearby would hear people weeping and wailing, just like you heard tonight. Okay? They would hear people weeping and wailing for souls and intercession to all hours of the night, two or three, four in the morning. They would say that they would open the doors. William Seymour would, would go hide. Um, they didn't have a lot of money in this, but they would go hide. He would hide himself in like a milk crate and would pray until he heard from God to come out and preach. But it was said that when the doors would open, people would come rushing in, and sometimes the power of God would just hit them. As soon as they got in, they would just be this big pile of people out under the power. But God was so touching people in this revival that they would get touched with the fire of heaven. Remember, John the Baptist said that he, Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Well, they were getting set on fire and being launched all over the world. What you've got to understand is every Pentecostal full gospel movement goes back to the Azusa Street Revival of today. Every, you know what the Azusa Street Revival was? It birthed modern missions. It sent people for the first time since many, many, many hundreds of years. It sent people baptized in the Holy Spirit, clothed with power, on fire, all over the world. It was interesting. I'm not saying I 100% agree or, or disagree because I wasn't there. But many of them would get baptized in the Holy Spirit, and when they spoke in tongues, if their dialect, their spiritual language, if their dialect sounded like a language, like Asian or Hispanic or whatever, they would think to themselves, well, I must be called to that region. And so they would take off and go there preaching the gospel. Now, God may have allowed that. He may have allowed their tongue to, to be that way to send them there. But regardless, they, they spread the gospel all over the world. Okay. I said all that to say this. We all know now that that was a mighty move of God that changed the world. But the sad thing is, during that day, there were religious people that persecuted that revival. And it's always been that way. Every single revival has always had religious persecution. It's religious Pharisees of that day. But there was even some spiritual leaders of the time. And what you've got to be careful of is that you don't fall into the crowd 
that is given over to that religious criticism because what happened was there was some, I'll give you one example, there's several, but G. Campbell Morgan and Ari Tory, but G. Campbell Morgan was a man who was a writer. He was a good man. He was a good author, a good teacher. He was a good guy, okay, but he missed God. And you can be somebody that knows the scriptures and still miss a move of God. You've got to hear me. You need to know the scriptures, but even if you know them, you can still miss a move of God. Because a lot of times, Paul said that, that knowledge puffs up. A lot of times, people, they'll get knowledge, and then they'll get arrogant. And the next thing you know, they're criticizing the move of God. But anyway, G. Kimball Morgan said, and I quote, that's the last vomit of Satan, and he told people to stay away from it. That's his exact words. Now, what he did was, without meaning to, is he probably sent hundreds of thousands of people to hell because the people that he influenced to stay away from the revival, he had some influence. If they had gone to Azusa Street, they would have got baptized in fire. They would have gone out and won a lot of people to the Lord. But all of that did not happen because of his influence to keep them away from the move of God. So you've got to be careful who you're listening to. All right. There's a lot of mighty moves of God going on all over the world right now. In this nation, I thank God. There's several pockets where God is moving really powerfully, really intense. And in my heart, I've wanted to, because I've seen such lukewarmness and hypocrisy and different things here, I love this area and I pray for it. And as far as living here, I love living here. But spiritually speaking, my heart has been really grieved. I've been grieved. I'm grieved because in street evangelism, we stand out there and we see... uh, all these people that go to church, but they're living totally hypocritical lives, and they know they are. And I'm grieved because pulpits are not saying anything about it. And I'm grieved because churches are not seeing the power of God. What hope do our young people have if they don't experience something from the Lord? You know, in the day that we live, and what, what's scary is this, a lot of young people have grown up in church and they've grown up in a church that's dead spiritually. They, and the young people, you can ask a lot of young people on the streets, hey, are you a Christian? Yeah, I go to church. It doesn't mean they're saved, but anyway, let's just go with that. Say, okay, in your church, are you seeing what Jesus saw and what the book of Acts shows and what we're supposed to be seeing? Do you see sick people healed? Are you seeing people delivered of things? Are you seeing the power of God? And they can't even give you one story one time. Now, here's the thing. Here's what's happened. So all of it is is just head knowledge. They've heard all the sermons and this and that. They grow up. They go to college. Now they're away from mom and dad. They're away from, from the church. And they're having a college professor challenge them. Challenge the validity. And let me tell you, this is, this is really common. In fact, this is so common that ministries now are trying to create a ministry of some kind that will specifically target this issue because there's been a great a great falling away right here, what I'm about to tell you. But there's so many young people that, that are going to college and their college professor is challenging the validity of the Bible, challenging if Jesus really lived, challenging everything that they believe and stand for, and trying to open their mind up to other religions or to atheism, whatever, whatever that professor is into. And 
the young people are falling away. Well, here's the problem. The Apostle Paul said, I don't come with eloquent words, but I come in demonstration of the Spirit's power. Now, here's what happened to the Apostle Paul. He went to Antioch. I'm sorry, he went to, uh, in Greece, Athens. He went to Athens, and they had all these other gods, and they had all these philosophers that thought they were so smart and everything else. And you can read about it in the book of Acts. He got up there, and he tried to talk about the unknown God. He tried to be eloquent with them. He tried to reach them on their level. They laughed at him. He came back probably really distraught about how it went. He went to the church in Corinth and he told them, he said, I come to you in much fear and trembling, but he said, I'm not going to come with eloquent words, but I'm going to come in the demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power so that your faith doesn't rest on men but on God. And here's the problem. A lot of people's faith only rests on men because they haven't had an encounter with the Lord for themselves. They haven't experienced anything for themselves. People can say whatever to me. I've heard the Lord's voice. I've spent time with him. I've seen his power. I've seen him heal people. I've seen him deliver people of demons. I've seen him touch people. It doesn't matter what anybody says to me. I have a history with God. I don't care what they believe. They're just wrong. And they may not believe in him, but they don't believe in him because they've never met him. If they meet him, they'll believe. All right. So with all that said, young people, I'd say anybody really in these end times, but especially the younger generation, need to experience something for themselves. And that's going to be what sustains you. Now, Jesus also said in Matthew 25, he talked about the parable of the foolish and the wise virgins, and all ten of them were virgins. That means all ten of them were God's people. That is, that is the pattern throughout all the scripture. Harlots are the lost. Virgins are God's people. All ten of them were virgins, but only five of them were ready. Read it. It's a scary thing. See, not everybody's going to be ready. But what does he say? Those that have extra oil will be ready for his coming. The extra oil is the extra outpouring of the Holy Spirit that's happening in these end times. See, it is not just a matter of feeling good. It's a matter of being able to be sustained through these dark times. Are you hearing me? The Lord is not pouring out his spirit just so we can sit around in, you know, some kind of spiritual campfire singing Kumbaya and we're all happy and, you know, we're all just joyous. And he's sending, he's pouring out his spirit for two reasons. One, to empower us to win the lost. But number two, to sustain us through the darkest times. And listen, the Lord clearly said, that these times would be so dark and so perilous that unless they were cut short, no one would survive. He said about these times that if, if it were possible, which it's not, if it were possible, even the elect would be deceived. These are going to be difficult times, but the Lord is pouring his spirit so much in our lives that it's going to sustain us. What does the Bible say? Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. This is his grace. His outpouring of his spirit is his grace to us to help us. But I believe with all my heart in the end times that we're not just going to survive. We're really going to do something for God. Because the book of Daniel says that in those times, he says those that know their God will arise and do great exploits. So during these times, I don't just believe we're just going to be limping along. I believe that God is going to anoint us and empower us, and we really are going to do great exploits for the Lord. Amen? All right.
that was not a sermon. That was just a quickie, all right? Actually, this sermon is not very long, but I want to I talk to you. This is totally different than anything I normally do. I just want to share with you about the life of Joseph. I want to talk to you about favor. And let me say this. As I was driving the other day, I, I was contemplating whether or not I should share this or not, but I feel, I feel led to because you guys are with me in this thing, and I don't believe it's just for me. But I was just driving along, and I, and I was just spending some time with the Lord, and the Lord just spoke to me out of the blue, just random, and he said, I'm about to put my favor on you. Now, I was thinking, what exactly does that mean? And I'm sitting there thinking about it, praying about it. Because, you know, sometimes he tells you stuff. He's even told me words sometimes that I had to go look it up in the dictionary. As I, had, I was like, what in the world? Or he told me a scripture verse, and I had to run to my Bible and open it and find the scripture verse, you know. I mean, he'll just give you something, but you better, you better grab hold of it, you know, and run with it. All right, so he told me that. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, what exactly does that mean? I don't believe that's just for me. I believe it's for the ministry. Because, see, listen, there's been a lot of prophetic words over the last couple of years. There's been a lot of prophetic words. There's been a lot of things that the Lord has been speaking to us. Okay? It's all about a timing issue. And when God, when God speaks a prophetic word over you, have you ever seen... I just saw this lady named Jan Painter prophesying over Brother Kilpatrick. Now, it's recorded way back in the day, okay, like a year ago, a year and a half ago. But she was prophesying over John Kilpatrick and Nathan. And after she prophesied over them, she was, you know, like they do, she's all excited yelling, but she laid hands and both of them hit the deck. And so I was sitting there thinking about this. Listen, you know why a lot of times a prophetic person will prophesy and then lay hands? Because God is putting that word on you. Do you understand that that does not just leave your life? When God speaks over you something and it's the word of the Lord, that word rests over your life and follows you and it will cause it to come to pass. Seriously. It's the word of the Lord. So there's been words that have been spoken and they were from the Lord. Several different prophetic people over the years have prophesied basically the same thing. They don't even know each other, have never met each other. And there is an effective door that's going to open. And what that is is a great harvest of souls is coming. It's going to happen. You know, now, I'm not saying it's just for this ministry alone, but specifically they were speaking about this ministry. There's going to be a great harvest of souls. And there's going to be a mighty move of God, which has already started. But see, I saw this, and, I, and people prophesy what's going on now in the past. This is no surprise. All right, so when I started looking into favor, I'm going to talk to you about Joseph's life. So let's look, at, let's look back at Abraham, okay? So I'm going to go through this real quick. And um, I thank you, Holy Spirit, locking us in, get this in us. But think about Abram. So God was looking in the earth and wanted to find somebody that he could manifest himself through. From the time of Adam, that Adam fell to Abraham was about 2,000 years. From the time of Abraham until Jesus came was about 2,000 years. Since Jesus came till now, it's been about 2,000 years. So we're at a juncture in time that's very significant. But God was looking through the earth and found Abram. Abram's name means father. And he found a man that he could be a friend with. The Bible said Abram was a friend of God. That's what it says. 
he spoke to Abram and said, I want you to leave your father and your country and follow me and go do what I command you to do, okay? Well, Abram had to step out in such faith to do that because he didn't know where he was going. He took his wife, his nephew came with him, he just launched out. Abram followed God, he was faithful, he was a man of integrity, he loved the Lord. And I'm saying some of this, I want to pinpoint it later, okay? But during one point in time in Abram's life, his nephew Lot was, was taken captive by three kings and their armies. It's my favorite Abraham story. Three kings and their armies took his nephew. Everybody say three kings. And their armies. Okay, I want you to really think about this. So Abraham, I mean, his name was still Abram. Abram finds out about it and gets upset. And he's thinking, I'm going to take my family and we're going to go whip these guys and take back my nephew. Okay, let this sink in. This is a true story, okay? So in the middle of the night, he takes his family, straps a sword on all of his fighting men. They go into where the kings were, whip them, and take back his nephew. All right. The, him and his nephew ended up, they had already parted ways. But here's the point. After the battle was won, he went before Melchizedek, who was a priest of Salem. Melchizedek stood before him. They took the Lord's Supper together, which was, it was bread and wine. It was prophetic of the Lord's Supper. They took communion together. Melchizedek blessed him. And then from that moment, that was a divine moment. I'm going to come back to that. That was a divine moment for Abram, okay? That was a set up by God. It was a golden moment, okay? All right, after that, Abram, God appears to Abram right after that, changes his name to Abraham, which means father of many nations, and told him, I'm going to fulfill this word. Your wife's going to get pregnant, and had him, you know, do some animal sacrifice to God, all that. After that, Sarah got pregnant, had Isaac. Isaac was a man of faith, loved God. You know, he, he was so blessed by God that the Philistines around him, the, the Philistines, the whole nation, they were afraid of him and his family. The Bible says they were afraid of him. And not only were they afraid of him, they envied the blessing on his life. That even during a famine, Isaac planted crops in dry soil without any rain, and it didn't rain after that, and it still reaped a hundredfold harvest. So Isaac goes along, he's married to Rebekah, they have twins, Esau and Jacob. There was always a thing there between the two of them, but Esau despised his birthright. Did you know in the Bible it says God hated Esau? That's sad, but, it, but it's true. Esau despised his birthright, was willing to give up his birthright to his brother for a bowl of soup. Anyway, so Jacob got his birthright. Jacob and Rebekah conspire to get the blessing, the firstborn blessing. He gets it. So Jacob gets it. He leaves on bad terms with Esau. Esau wants to kill him. He flees to his uncle's house, Laban. He sees Rachel. He thinks she's beautiful, falls in love with her. And he says, I want her as my wife. And he says, work for me seven years. You know the story. At the end of seven years, Laban tricked him into marrying Leah. He was, he was in the relationship. He's very upset about it. He had to work seven more years, and he, and he got Rachel. Now, during that time, the blessing of the Lord, if you can see the stream of blessing, the blessing that was on Abraham, then you see Isaac, how he would reap that supernatural harvest and how he was so blessed, the, na the nation around him envied him. Then you see Jacob, everything Jacob did at Laban's house prospered 
to the degree that Laban was willing to trick him to keep him longer. So the blessing of the Lord was on Jacob. And his father had blessed him. Anyway, he comes back with his family. It was really ultimately the will of God because Jacob had to have 12 sons. And so God allowed him to have multiple wives to help with that. But as he was coming back, he met Esau. He wrestled. You, remember, you guys remember the story? He wrestled with God. God touched his hip. He began to walk with a limp from that day forward. He met Esau the next day. They buried the hatchet. You know, it was over. They made amends. Then Jacob, the story of Joseph begins. And this is what I wanted to talk about. Jacob had all of his sons. But see, Rachel was the one that had Joseph as her oldest son. And then Benjamin. So, even though Reuben was the oldest with Leah, he was the actual oldest, Jacob always favored Rachel's children because that was the wife that he wanted. And so Joseph was the one who was going to be the one that inherited the blessing and inherited from him. Well, Joseph, Jacob the father, gave him a coat of many colors. Now think about the brothers. And I'm going to share some things as I go. But the brothers didn't like Joseph because they knew that the dad, you know, favored him. Then the dad puts a coat of many colors on the guy, okay? So he's walking around with this coat, you know. And I imagine every time they saw it, it was like a thumb in the eye, you know. They're like, oh, you know. And they're irritated with him. They already don't like him. But here he comes strutting around, and he's got his fancy coat on, you know. And on top of that, Joseph also has a dream. Now, it's a legitimate dream from God, but he had a dream that basically his brothers were bowing down to him, to make a long story short. Now, listen, this is an important lesson, okay? Not everything that God shows you, you need to tell other people. I'm, it's funny, and I know you're laughing, but I'm dead serious, okay? Not everything that God shows you Okay, not everything that happens to you spiritually, not everything God speaks to you, not everything you discern you're supposed to share, okay, is it can get you in trouble. Case in point, Je Joseph has this dream and decides he's going to tell all of them. So they already don't like him as it is. He's got his fancy coat on. And then he goes up to them and says, hey, guys, I had a dream. All you guys bowed down to me. <laughs> well, this enraged them, obviously. So... Um, as, as time passed, the father told Joseph, said, I want you to go check on your brothers because they, they were um, shepherds and they were out there with the sheep. And so Joseph goes out there to check on him. He's got his coat on, you know. And as he's coming, the brothers are like, oh, here comes this little dreamer, you know, daddy's boy. And they, they're all, they don't like him. And so they take him and they throw him into a pit. Now, I'm going somewhere with all of this because Joseph had a legitimate dream from God. And he was a child of destiny. As he was, his brothers threw him into a pit, Reuben felt sorry for him and didn't really want them to be mistreating him like that. But anyway, they ended up selling him to the Ishmaelites, which is ironic because Abraham first had Ishmael, and that was a mistake. So the Ishmaelites are coming. And they sell Joseph as a slave to these foreigners who then take him into Egypt 
and sell him to Potiphar, who was one of Egypt's officials or whatever his official title was, I don't remember. But he was somebody of, of importance. But anyway, Potiphar had a wealthy house and a wealthy household. And so the first thing that happened to Joseph, he was a child of destiny. But here he is being thrown into the pit and being betrayed by his own brothers. Now, I've been through some stuff in life, but I haven't had to go through that, okay, being totally betrayed by your family. And so he was betrayed by his family. Sold into slavery. He ends up in Egypt. He's bought as a slave. He's a part of Potiphar's household. Now, Potiphar starts to put him, notices something about him, starts to put him over things. And just like his daddy Jacob, everything that he did was blessed. I'm showing you through this some things I want you to pick up on because I'm going to come back to them later. There's a difference between blessing and favor. Everything that Joseph did was blessed. But if you looked at his life, if you pulled back and looked at his life, you would wonder about what's wrong with this guy. I mean, things are not going well because as he's there at Potiphar's house, Potiphar got to the place to where he put Joseph over everything because he was so blessed and he could trust him. He put him over his whole household. And so everything Joseph was doing was the whole household. Everybody looked to him. Well, Potiphar's wife was a lustful woman and began to want him to go to bed with her. So she started hitting on him and trying to get him to sleep with her. And he told her, he said, I'm not going to do this to my master because my master has entrusted everything to me. The only thing that he does not want me to touch is you, and I'm not going to do that. But she ends up grabbing his jacket one day, ripping it off of him. Anyway, she ends up lying about him and saying that he tried to rape her when he didn't. And Potiphar gets upset and puts him in prison. Now, in prison, Joseph is still blessed, and so pretty soon the warden puts him over everything going on in the prison. Now, I want you to think about this. You pull back and you look at Joseph's life. You see the pit. Then you see the lie. Then you see the prison. And you see this history here of years of not, things just not going well for this guy. And most people would look at this and go, he must be cursed of the Lord or something. Something's off. I mean, it's like this guy, everything he's doing is just falling apart. But you know why I think, this is just my personal opinion, I, you know why I think that God was still blessing him in each one of those circumstances was to keep him going. Because he really did have a dream. He was a child of destiny. He knew he was a, of the seed of Abraham. And he knew God was with him, but at the same time, life was handing him a bad deal. And while everything was going bad, it's like he would get in this horrible situation, but then... God would bless around him. In a small place, things weren't good, but God would bless around him. And I believe, in my heart, I believe that God did that and he was showing Joseph, I'm still with you. My hand's still on you. Well, pretty soon, Joseph's the warden and uh, he's running things in the prison. So everything goes through him. Now, the cupbearer, and the baker tick off the Pharaoh. You don't do that. You don't tick off the Pharaoh. Okay, so they get thrown in prison. They're on death row. Okay, anyway, they're there, and they both have dreams. 
and the dreams were, one of them had a dream that he had a vine with three branches. And then basically the dream, I'll tell you here in a moment the interpretation, the other, the baker had a dream of having three baskets on his head. And they come, you know, they're talking to it, and Joseph said, hey, you know, he said, God can give you the interpretation of this dream, so tell me what it is. Well, the cupbearer tells Joseph his dream, and Joseph says, hey, okay, here's the interpretation. In three days, you're going to be restored back where you're supposed to be. And the cupbearer's like, oh, man, I hope you're right. And so the baker hears that and is thinking, all right, this guy's giving out good prophecies today. So, you know, so he goes to him and tells him his dream. I got you know, three baskets on my head. And, and Joseph says, all right, in three days, Pharaoh's going to hang you from a noose. <laughs> well, in three days, that's exactly what happened. All right. So Joseph told, told him, said, told the, you know, the cupbearer, obviously, said, listen, when you're restored back to your position, you're going to be right next to Pharaoh. I want you to tell him about me, okay? I didn't do this stuff. I'm, I'm not in prison lawfully. I didn't do what they said I did. Well, the cupbearer gets restored back and forgets about Joseph. Well, time rocks along. Pharaoh has a dream that bothers him. He sees seven fat cows and seven skinny cows. The skinny cows eat the fat cows. Okay, that is a weird dream. Then he sees seven sheaves, and the seven good sheaves eat the bad ones, okay? And so he's sitting there thinking, what's up with the dreams? And he's talking about it, and the cupbearer hears it, and he says, you know what? He said, I remember this guy in prison, and he can interpret dreams. I'm telling you, he interpreted my dream about being back there. So Pharaoh was like, okay, bring him to me. He brings Joseph to him. Joseph prophesies seven years of famine. Now, Here's the whole thing about this whole story. God put Joseph through this process, which I'm going to talk about as I close here in a moment. But here toward the end of the process, Joseph, God's hand was always on Joseph, and he was always blessed. But all of a sudden now, it was time for favor, and it was time to be promoted. It was just time. It was God's time. And God... The thing about God's favor is this. It has a lot to do with timing. It has a lot to do with the right people. And Joseph had run into the right people. It was a God thing. And set him up for promotion. So whenever Pharaoh hears the dream interpreted, Pharaoh says, you know what? Man. I need to take this guy, and I need to put him over the whole land. So basically, he puts Joseph. So Joseph goes. He's, he's an ex-con now, okay? He's been lied about. He's, he's been betrayed by his brothers, thrown in the pit. He's been a slave. Okay, this is not a good history, okay? When he stood before Pharaoh, he didn't give his resume, all right? This is not a good situation. But as he was standing before Pharaoh, Pharaoh says, I'll tell you what, I'm going to put you over the entire land the only person that's going to be more powerful than you is me. Think about that. So now Joseph is the vice president, if you will, the prime minister, okay, of, of Egypt. He's, he's an important guy. So his family ends up coming because of the famine he prophesied. His family ends up coming to him needing food. Make a long story short, there was a restoration there, okay? But let me give you some things. The life of Joseph. He had a high calling from birth. We all know not to tell everybody what God shows you now. Amen. 
His life looked cursed on the outside. But God did a deep work in Joseph. Listen, while Joseph was going through this, God's hand on Joseph took him through this course. And one of the interesting things was when he was standing before his brothers, they didn't even recognize him. And, oh, that dream came true. They bowed down. They were afraid of him. They bowed down before him. But as that dream came to pass, this is what Joseph told them. He said, don't be afraid. You meant it for evil. But he said, truthfully, God had this whole thing set up. God wanted me here in this position so that I could bring you guys in here and take care of you. That's basically what he said. I'm paraphrasing. But he said, God did all of this. Now, Joseph had to go through that process for God to prepare him to be raised up. Now, here's some things God did in his life. Number one, God had to teach him how to walk in forgiveness. And he went through some major betrayals. Did you know in all the different types and shadows of Christ in the Old Testament, did you know Joseph is the one type and shadow that has the most prophetic parallels to Jesus? Did you know that? There's some like David. You can see prophetic parallels to Christ. There's Moses. There's Elijah. There's others. But whenever you see Joseph, there's like a lot of similarities, okay? And I'm not going to get into that. But it's an interesting study. But he had to learn to walk in forgiveness. Now, some of you, you have a call on your life. You're a child of destiny, and God's had his hand on you. But you've gone through some things in life that you don't understand why. Because you can't tell me Joseph wasn't in the bottom of that pit thinking, what did I do? And not only that, was in the prison wondering, did God forget about me? What, you know, what's the deal? But he had to learn to walk in forgiveness, and he also had to learn to completely die to self. That's a big lesson right there. Because see, when you're born, these little babies, they're not thinking about everybody else. Little babies only think about themselves. <laughs> They'll bite another baby for a toy. Amen. They, they don't care. That they're just totally self-focused, okay? So when you're born, you know, nobody has to teach a child to be rebellious or anything. It just, you know, it's got to be broken, you know, in and, and all of us. But it's the sinful nature. But see, what happened is, is that when Adam and Eve sinned, Satan said, if you eat this, you'll be like God. What happened is, is Eve wanted to be like God. And still to this day, when people are born of Adam, the sinful nature, they are still kind of their own God. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I want to do what I want to do. I want to live my own life. You know, it's like I'm my own God, my own man, my own woman, or whatever. I'm my own God. And what happens when a child is born like that, the parent has to help get that out of them through discipline. And if they don't get it out of them, oh, man, when they get older, they're gonna, there's going to be a lot of problems. But let me tell you, God will eventually, if they become a Christian, God will eventually get it out of them, but it will be painful when they're an adult. But see, Joseph went through a process where God had to help him walk in forgiveness and get all of that self-God out of him. Where, you know, I'm not going to have a little pity party in prison anymore. It's not all about me. You know, I'm here for a reason. Because he got to the place where he understood, when he stood before his brothers, he understood, wait a second, this whole thing was God. I'm supposed to be here. 
I was supposed to have gone through all that. And God had worked that process in him where he wasn't somebody that had gotten bitter and rebellious. But you got to die to self. And once all of, all of the stuff is dead in your life that needs to die, where Christ can live his life through you, then the Lord can start entrusting you with some things. You know why you see dictators and politicians and different people that abuse their power? Because they're still their own God. And power corrupts them. But see, Joseph had been brought into a place of that type of authority, but because of the process God put him through, he wasn't like that. He didn't abuse his power. Unfortunately, some ministers, some people of influence, they've never really died to themselves and dealt with this self-God issue. And when they get promoted, they, the power goes to their head and they get corrupted. Because it's not about you. It's about Jesus. You see, And as long as it's about you, there's an avenue for the devil to corrupt you. All right. Joseph had to go through the death of a vision. You remember the scripture where Jesus said, unless a kernel of wheat fall to the ground and die, it only remains one seed. But if it falls to the ground and dies, it produces many seeds. There's got to be in every person's life a death of the vision, so to speak, that you go through a dying process. The next thing Joseph had to go through was he had to go through the wilderness of life. Now, remember me telling you about this? The wilderness is the exact opposite of your promised land. When God told the children of Israel, he said, I'm going to take you into a land flowing with milk and honey. You're going to have houses you didn't build. You're going to have vineyards you didn't plant, wells you didn't dig. And then they end up in the wilderness time, and they're looking around them. There's sand, sand dunes. It's hot. Where's the water? And it's like, wait a second. This is not milk and honey. All right, now, let me tell you, here's the thing. That is the process. Whatever God has promised you, you're going to face the opposite. Did you know that some of the greatest healing ministries that's ever been, did you know there was a time in their life when they were sick? They were really sick. And God had to restore. See, they, they hit their, pro their wilderness before they hit their promised land. Whatever it is that God's called you to do, you're going to go through a wilderness time where it really, truly will be the opposite. Do you understand what I'm saying? You will go through a time where what God promised you, you're living in the exact opposite of that for a time. So Joseph has a dream, a promise from God that his brothers are going to bow to it. That was obviously prophetic of him being in that position in Egypt. And he's in a prison? I mean, this is the exact opposite. This is the low point. This is the wilderness. This is Joseph's wilderness moment. But you're going to have to go through the death of a vision, and you're going to have to go through the wilderness to the other side because Jesus always takes the bread, he takes you, he blesses you, and then he breaks you. That's the tough part. That's the wilderness. That's the dying to self, the death of a vision. He breaks you, but once he breaks you, then he can use you. All right, here's the last couple things. God's favor, God's blessing, his anointing, his exaltation. 
These are all different things, but they work together. Throughout Joseph's life, you see the blessing there, okay? You see the anointing, if you will, okay? Swear for me, but you see that. But it sure didn't look like there was any favor. I mean, the blessing was there, but it seemed like when it came to people around him, he had issues. See, favor, what favor is, is different. Blessings, blessings will cause you to prosper in difficult times. Blessings will cause you to prosper in life. But favor is different. Favor will cause people to like you that normally wouldn't like you. Favor will open doors for you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Just like Abram had that great victory, that was obviously God's blessing. Then he meets with Melchizedek. Melchizedek blessed him. And then it seems like the favor of God kicked in right there. God gave him favor with Melchizedek. Melchizedek blessed him, and everything started turning around. Favor, when God puts his favor on you, it's meant to cause people to look at you different and to change their opinion about you. But see, before that can happen, God's got to put you through a process. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because if God doesn't put you through the process to where you're humble and teachable, whenever favor comes, it will corrupt people. It will cause them to get prideful. There's nothing worse than pride. Because pride is what made Lucifer into the devil. And if it made an, an archangel into the devil, what can it do to you as a sinful human being? Pride is a horrible thing. And God doesn't want his favor on you prematurely because it may result in something like that. Amen? Look at David, another example. David, God's blessing was on the boy. He was anointed. Remember, Samuel anointed him. He goes up, but see, here's where favor kicked in. He was blessed and anointed. And then there's Goliath. And now, now it's time for favor. And so David stands and says, I'm going to slay Goliath. And because of favor on his life, he ends up at the, at the king's palace. And it begins his process of becoming king. There comes a point in time with favor where it's God's timing. It's not your timing. You can kind of choose blessings. You choose blessings by living right. You choose blessings by speaking blessings. So you choose. Remember he said, I lay before you life and death, blessings and curses, choose life. Deuteronomy 30, 19. We choose blessings. You choose blessings by obeying the word of God. But favor is something that has to do with God's timing, and it's an act of God on your life. And it has to do with relationships, doors opening, promotion. It has to do with timing. Does everybody hear what I'm saying? And so lately, for the last little while, God's been prophesying to us as a group that the process has come to a close. It's time for the next season. I'm just adding to that tonight. The Lord spoke to me. His favor is coming. And that's why I use this picture that I used because I, I, when I saw it, I felt it. It's like going into God's favor. It's in front of you. It's coming. But with added authority comes added responsibility. Be careful about counterfeit authority. Last couple things. You guys stand with me? Listen, this is important that you understand this. In the Bible, God gives true biblical authority. 
And he gives his anointing, which is his empowerment. How many want anointing from God? Amen. Now, here's the thing. God has authority and power, but Satan has a counterfeit. I'm going to explain something to you biblically to help, make, help this make sense to you. But I felt this. I'm going to pray with people here at the end. I felt about inner vows and judgments of the heart. Okay? But in the Bible, when it talks about witchcraft, it talks about it being a counterfeit to God's authority. Galatians 5.19 calls it a work of the flesh. What it is, it's trying to control people through manipulation or the dark arts, however it goes. But it's ultimately trying to control people through manipulation. Witchcraft is a counterfeit to God's authority. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And it's a, it's a power from the evil one. Did you know there's some people that move, and they'll be Christians or whatever, but they, they start moving in criticism and, and being rebellious and doing things, and they really feel like, they feel like it's God. They feel like something is speaking to them to be doing what they're doing, and they feel like an empowerment about it, but there's no way that it's God. You hear what I'm saying? Because God doesn't drive people to be rebellious, little heathens, you know, that gossip and tear up churches. That's not God. So if there's a power behind that, that's another spirit. Amen? All right. So you've got God's authority and power flowing this way. Then you've got the enemy's authority and power flowing over here. Now, people that have experienced God's power, like many of you, the Greek word is dunamis, and it means explosive. It's kind of like, well, it's where we get the word dynamite, so it means kind of explosive. People have described God's power like an electric current. It doesn't hurt, but it's power. You can just feel it's raw power. The glory of God is his manifest presence. And some of you guys, as you've been in church, you have felt God's glory and his power. It's an awesome thing. And you feel authority from the Lord. All right. But Satan has a counterfeit. And his counterfeit, when you talk about witchcraft, it's, it's a control, it's a manipulation, but there's an evil current of power there. You hear what I'm saying? An evil current of power. I have seen over the years, I don't know why God told me to share on this, but he did. I've seen over the years somebody that comes under the influence of something that's not God. And pretty soon, they've still manipulated everything to where, now listen to me and try to get this. They've made themselves look like a victim and get people feeling sorry for them. And then made the people that they're abusing look like the bad guy. And the opposite is true. But there's some kind of a current of power. There's something there that they, they're, they're tearing people down. They're gossiping. They're slandering. They're rebelling. They're being used of the devil. And it's unleashed something to where there's so much confusion that the victim looks like the bad guy who didn't even do anything. It's like, excuse me, sir, your back was in the way of my knife. <laughs> it's your fault that the knife's in your back. I mean, you ran backwards into it. What's wrong with you? We can laugh, but I've seen it over and over and over. That's the devil. And it's, and it's, a, it's a manipulation. There's, there's, a, there's an empowerment there. 
And the enemy gets in all that, and he brings confusion and twistedness. And I'm talking about, obviously, Jezebel, but I'm also talking about Leviathan. These are scriptural things in the Bible. But anyway, he brings a confusion and a twistedness where there's so much confusion about what he says, she said, he did, she did, that there's so much confusion, the devil's just running rampant in all that. And when the smoke clears on the other side of a satanic attack, there's a lot of unnecessarily wounded victims and damage done to the kingdom of God that should have never happened. And it traffics through prideful people and rebellious people. That's what it traffics through right there. So, as, as we begin to move into new realms of authority and power in the Lord, in the Holy Spirit, you need to be careful what you're tapping into and make sure that you stay humble and that you're allowing the Holy Spirit to flow through you as a pure vessel. And don't let any of that sin in your life. Sin is deceptive. People start tapping into things. They get in sin. They begin to get lifted up with pride. They start criticizing and judging and getting rebellious. The next thing you know, they're being used of the devil. And they really are. That's not just a cliche. They're being used of something other than God to do evil purposes. So be careful how you pray. This is what I felt. Be careful how you pray that you don't resort to trying to manipulate or control anybody. Don't ever try to control anybody's free will. When you pray for people, pray, Lord, let your kingdom come, your will be done. I bless them to become what Jesus wants them to be. I bind the devil, okay? It's okay to curse the devil's works and bind the devil and stuff like that, but don't try to control the person through your prayer. Don't try to pray your will over somebody because, in essence, that is a form of witchcraft. You're trying to control somebody. That's not God. The Lord never takes away people's free will. Amen? Amen. He leaves you a free will to choose life or death, blessings and curses. He's always going to leave that. If you start trying to control people, even though you mean well, but you're trying to use your spiritual authority, your spiritual prayer life, your giftings, whatever it is, and you're trying to control other people through it, that's not God. And without meaning to, you may tap into something that's not God for sure. I'll give you an example. Some people have gifts of the Holy Spirit, tongues, interpretation, prophecy, whatever. There's several. And they may have a word for somebody, but sometimes I've seen people that are prophetic maybe try to use that to control somebody. They have a convenient word for the moment that ends up getting their way. I've seen it. That's not God. So what is it? If it's not God, it's something. It's flesh, but it can tap into more than that. Is this making sense? So be sure and stay a pure vessel before the Lord, holy, righteous, that you're flowing in a true spiritual authority from God. And what you're tapped into is a pure river of the Holy Spirit flowing through your life. Amen? The last couple things. I want God to command his blessing. Psalm 133, I love it. It says, how good and pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. What I pray more than anything is that the ministry stay unified. 
I pray out divisive people. I won't put up with it. I don't tolerate gossip, slanders, troublemakers. I don't put up with it. But I'm going to tell you, where there's unity, where there's unity, God will command his blessing. Listen to what it says. It says, how good and blessed it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the oil that flowed from Aaron's head down to his beard, onto his garments. And there, God commanded his blessing. I want there to be a flow of the anointing, and I want God to command his blessing. And what happens is, when you've got the flow of the anointing, and you've got God commanding his blessing, it's just a matter of time before favor comes. It's just a matter of time. And when favor comes, then will come promotion, divine appointments, golden opportunities, divine relationships will form. Things will begin to move and open that have never moved and opened before. Can you imagine Joseph's frustration in prison telling the guy, I just prophesied it, okay? And I imagine he's thinking to himself, that clown forgot about me. I should have told him something other than a good prophecy. You know, he's in there forgot all about me. But I imagine he was in prison frustrated. But when it was God's time, favor came. A divine appointment with Pharaoh came. You see what I'm saying? Promotion, opportunity. All right. Remember, God will eventually turn everything around. He will. Think about in the Bible, Job. The Bible says, then the captivity of Job turned. God eventually turned everything around for Job. With Abram, there came a time of favor. There came a time in his life, 25 years the man had heard that he was going to be the father of nations and God was going to bless him. But there came a point in time in Abram's life where God put his favor on him there was a divine connection with Melchizedek and his destiny opened. There came a time with David. He's out there with the sheep, playing his harp, singing his song, spending time with God. Can you imagine being in David's shoes? You're out there and all of a sudden Samuel one day shows up. Think about it. Samuel was, was an important guy during that time. And when Samuel came to a town, the whole town was scared. Like, is he coming because God's happy? Is he coming because God's mad? You know, um, and they were all just afraid of Samuel. I mean, he was a man of God. And all of a sudden, David's out there playing his harp, you know, and, and doing his thing. And all of a sudden, Samuel is summoning him and pouring oil over his head and saying, you're going to be the next king. But there came a time in his life, obviously, the anointing, the blessing, the calling was all there. But there came a time where favor and promotion came with David. There came a time when the children of Israel... God had let them wander, but there came a time, though, when they crossed the Jordan into the promised land. So the question is, are you a child of destiny? I believe that people that are part of this ministry are. And those, I believe that people have been marked from birth. I do. And if you're marked from birth, you will eventually walk into your destiny. But how many knows the Bible says, Jeremiah, God revealed it to him, but for all of us, he said, before I formed you in, the, in your mother's womb, I knew you. How I many knows God, God knew you before he formed you in, his, in your mother's womb? He knew you. He, he knew your life. He knew your destiny. He knew your calling before the foundations of the world. So you're a person of destiny. 
You're here for a reason. And God has put things in you that he wants to use in the body of Christ, in the kingdom. It can be anointings and giftings, but can also be talents that he's put in you like music abilities, different things. But he wants to he wants to draw back out of you what he's put in you and use it for his glory. But as you're growing up, you need to encourage people about this. But somebody that's marked by God, and there's a mark on them from birth, okay? They're going to go through life, and they're going to face some satanic attacks. That's just the way it is. They're going to go through life, and they may be misunderstood by people. They have a little bit harder of a time in school than the next person. There's no explanation for it. What it is, is they're marked by God, and the enemy knows it, and God knows it. There's something on them, and they're set apart to be used by God. But here's what I want to challenge you with, and we're going to pray here in a moment, but I want to challenge you to not become, not allow yourself to become bitter or rebellious because those are the traps of the enemy. While you're going through your process, you're going through your pit, your prison, your difficult time in life, you've got a calling. And some people are going to be listening to this or watching this. You have a calling from God. God has anointed you. He spoke to you about something. And now you feel like you're in a pit. You've been betrayed by people. You feel like you're in prison somewhere spiritually, and you're not seeing anything. You feel like you're going through a wilderness of the exact opposite of what God has spoke to you. Let me just encourage you to keep going because God has his hand on you, and you're exactly where you're supposed to be. That, if you look through the Bible, that is exactly the pattern God did with people. You're just going through the process that God has for all of us. But don't allow yourself to become bitter or rebellious because then God will have to put you on the back burner. He'll have to put you through an extended wilderness time to get that back out of you. But see, a lot of people go in the pit or the prison or whatever, and they get bitter. Just like Joseph, his brothers betrayed him. If anybody had a right to be bitter for a little bit, Joseph did because, I mean, he was betrayed for no reason just because his dad made him a coat and, and favored him. And he had a dream, and he shouldn't have shared the dream. <laughs> all right, we all know that. All right, But anyway, he, he shared his dream, but regardless, they wronged him, and he could have got bitter. And in prison, he could have got rebellious. See, whenever people get bitter and angry, they have a tendency also to get rebellious. You can see him in prison with a bad attitude, rebellious, and the warden over the prison, every time he goes by there, Joseph's got something smart to say to him and wants to beat him up. But see, Joseph didn't get like that. He let God deal with his heart. And, and as God dealt with his heart, he began to walk in forgiveness. And he began to walk in humility. And he, and he submitted to authority, and he was right. And even in, because he was like that, even in prison, God used him to be the warden. You can't tell me, it doesn't say it, but you can't tell me the warden didn't have a little bit better food than the next guy. And the warden didn't have some special privileges, okay? So God favored him and blessed him, but there at the end it was time for the favor of God to come forth and real promotion to come. And I feel like, I really feel like, I mean, I, I heard God about it, but I, I really feel like that favor is on the horizon. 
When favor comes, what that is, is God opening up a door that no man can shut because God opened it with his favor. It's God giving divine appointments and divine connections. It's God beginning to promote and do what he wants to do. But the question is this. We've got to make sure that we're not rebellious or bitter at all about anything that's happened because some of you guys have been through some stuff because God's allowed you to go through some things because he's been testing you and working in you what he needs to work in you and get out of you what needs to go. Because if we're all honest, we've all had some stuff the Lord need to get out of us, amen, and do a work in us. But here's what I wanted to pray with you about. Number one, I wanted to pray with you about making sure there's no control. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. But also, inner vows and judgments. Listen, this is dangerous because the Bible says not to judge or you'll be judged, okay? Being critical and stuff like that. But here's the thing. Whenever you go through being burned, it's a natural human reaction of the flesh. It's a natural human reaction in your heart to kind of judge that person. And maybe even make inner vows within yourself like, I will never be like that person. I will never do that to someone. You hear what I'm saying? That's a natural reaction, but it's actually judging people in an ungodly way because you don't necessarily know the intentions of their heart. And you know, sometimes the devil will use people, and once he's through with them and throws them away like a piece of trash, then they kind of come to their senses, like the prodigal son in the pig pen. They kind of come to their senses and realize, wait a second, I shouldn't have done all that. And they feel bad about it. You see what I'm saying? And the body of Christ needs to forgive people and be willing to put the past behind us. So I want to lead you in a prayer about some of this stuff. Okay, I feel it's really serious. Some people have had some things. And then if you want prayer tonight, I'll be happy to pray with you if you need healing or whatever it is. In fact, after we pray, I may share with you a dream I had. I felt it was from the Lord as well. Everybody, everybody wants to make sure you're right with the Lord about this stuff. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Just pray it after me. Dear Jesus, I forgive anyone that has ever wronged me. Forgive me for judging them in my heart, being critical of others. Or any inner vows I made. I repent of these things. I put it under the blood of Jesus. And forgive me if I've ever tried to control anyone, manipulate people, intimidate people, pray prayers over people that was controlling. I repent of these things. I put all this under the blood of Jesus. And give me the grace to not be bitter or rebellious. And anything the enemy's ever had in my life, some kind of an influence, I take authority and destroy it command that to leave my life 
right now in Jesus' name. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, to fill me and change me. Do a deep work in my life. Make me like Jesus. So that I can be entrusted with my destiny, my calling, everything the Lord has for me. I want to be a faithful and a wise steward of all God has entrusted me. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. Man, I feel the power of God up here. So if you want prayer tonight about anything, I'm going to put on some worship. I'll be happy to pray with you. I want to speak a blessing over you guys as well. If you have any tithes or offerings, I'll include that in the blessing. But let me bless you. And after we pray with people, I encourage you to stay after a little bit. We're going to have a fundraiser for the youth. You know, just whatever you want to sow into it. There's no certain amount or anything. But I bless every one of you in Jesus' name. The oath that God gave Abraham is your inheritance. The Bible says in Galatians 3.13 that Christ became a curse for you on the cross, on the tree it says. For it's written, cursed is anyone who's hung on the tree, redeeming you so the blessings given Abraham come on you as a Gentile. And I bless you in Jesus' name that your bodies will be in divine health. The life of God will flow through your spirit, soul, and body and bring change. I bless you in Jesus' name that your soul area, your mind, your emotions, your psychological makeup will be healthy and whole that there's not going to be insecurities and fears, there's not going to be wounds, but I bless you that you're going to be very whole and secure and in a godly way, in a humble way, very bold and confident. And I bless you in Jesus' name that your inner man, your spirit man, will be very sensitive to the Holy Spirit, his leading, that you'll hear the voice of the Lord, you'll know the Lord's leading. I bless you in the mighty name of Jesus that the relationships in your life will be peaceful and unified. I bless your finances that they'll multiply and increase and be more than enough, not only to pay every bill on time and to meet needs that arise, but also so that you can put some money in savings and be a generous giver to other people because God has blessed you to be so. I bless you on your workplace that time will work with you, not against you. You will have productive days where you're able to get more done supernaturally because of God's blessing. You're able to get more done than you should be able to get done in the natural. And people are astounded that it's like Joseph at Potiphar's house, that the works of your hands are blessed and God will give you favor. I bless you in Jesus' name that your, your spiritual ministry, whatever it is God's called you to do, will be successful and powerful. That you'll always have a fresh anointing and the gifts that God's put in you will be at work accurately and powerfully. I bless your night's rest to be peaceful. You'll have sweet dreams. You'll rest in God's presence under his glory like a blanket.